Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Joan Borsinko comes back to the Authentic Living Show today to discuss one of the most important features of mental health, the appropriate use of boundaries. We're only recently coming to understand the necessity of appropriate psychological, spiritual, and relational boundaries. And on this show today, we're going to really get into this discussion, for the use of boundaries could make all the difference in our abilities to live happy, fulfilling lives. So stay right here for all of it. You're not going to want to miss any of today's show. Joan Borsinko is a distinguished pioneer in integrative medicine, a world-renowned expert in the mind-body connection. Her work has been foundational in an international healthcare revolution that recognizes the role of meaning and the spiritual dimensions of life as an integral part of health and healing. She's the co-founder of the Mind-Body Clinic along with Dr. Herbert Benson and Dr. Ilian Kutz and an instructor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Her 1987 book, Minding the Body, Mending the Mind, became an international bestseller, and she has since authored several other books. A transformative speaker, she continues to offer speaking engagements on health, healing, and spirituality worldwide. So we are very blessed to have her here today to talk about this profoundly uh, helpful subject about boundaries. Welcome, Joan, to the Authentic Living Show. Well, it's great to be back with you, Andrea, especially for a topic that we all need to refresh ourselves on from time to time. I call it going back to better boundary school. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We all need that boundary school. That's for sure. Absolutely. So you've developed some pretty sound insights about boundaries. How did you come to to develop these insights, maybe personally or just professionally? Well, you know, both. I realized uh, at some point in my life, I think uh, I was probably pretty old, maybe as old as in my early 40s, when it finally occurred to me that not only was I constantly giving myself away to other people and leaving nothing for myself, but even though you do that out of kindness, you really do it out of a hope that you're going to be loved because that's the main hope of every human being. We just want to be loved, part of the pack, accepted. And giving makes us feel good up to a point. And, of course, it's a very important part of life, both to give and to receive. But people who have poor boundaries end up with an imbalance, and that is... They're very used to giving, but they have difficulty receiving. And the problem with giving is eventually you deplete yourself until there's nothing left to give. You feel empty inside. And at that point, all of your plans to be lovable just backfire because some people end up, they're just such a martyr that they're a downer to be with. You know, they're constantly complaining about giving themselves away, or sometimes parents who give away too much to their children find that they've raised very narcissistic, entitled kids, and they realize, I've made a big mistake here. What I thought was giving 
was so unbalanced that my kids are unprepared to live with resilience in this world. And then another common pattern that I've seen, and, and the one that really almost undid me, is after a while, once you've gotten people used to the fact that you're going to give them everything, you just become a doormat. Uh, people take you for granted. And eventually you end up resenting the very people that you were so intent on helping. And that ends up to be very isolating. Um, uh, it's something that can not only make a person sad, but make a person bitter. And one of the places, of course, that people learn about boundaries, and I had lots of patients teach me about boundaries because they were members of AA, and they recognized in their codependence, that is, they were allowing people to engage in their addictions. Maybe they had a wife that was drinking or something and was always covering up for her, doing everything for her, um, you know, trying to keep the family afloat and looking normal. And what I learned from women and men who'd been in that position is that while people routinely die or go to jail from addiction, codependence and lack of boundaries will kill you even faster. And I think that's true. Um, You know, I ran a mind-body clinic at two of the different Harvard Medical School teaching hospitals during the 1980s. And I developed a radar for women who didn't have good enough boundaries. There's a sense of exhaustion, um, a sense of the world is not fair. And the way that women start to talk about it, what brought them into the clinic generally is some kind of stress-related disorder. And at a certain point, you become so depleted that you literally start losing tissue. And the result of bad boundaries is eventually going to be a burnout, lack of compassion, loss of compassion for yourself and others, and physical collapse. So that's, that's the extreme of the condition. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's very important to know that it not only affects you mentally, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually, but it can also affect you physically as well. Absolutely. Yeah, so can, let's just start by working with a sort of working definition of healthy boundaries. Can you tell us what a healthy boundary looks like? I'd say a healthy boundary, first of all, is the ability to understand your own needs and to do what you need to do to get your needs met so that when you give to other people, you are giving from a sense of your own fullness because your needs are met. And as long as you feel a healthy sense of fullness when you give to others, then your giving is coming from a good place, from a healthy body, from a healthy mind. When you are not meeting your own needs, when you put yourself last and you just keep giving to other people and you start to give from a sense of depletion, that's when you can recognize that your boundaries are poor. So 
the definition is really of good boundaries is you're able to maintain good self-care and give from a full cup. Right, right. And we're going to talk a little bit about what you mean by self-care in a minute. But we know that boundaries can be loose or rigid or somewhere in between or even non-existent. So you said we can begin to discover what our, where our boundaries are. How do we do that? How do we begin that discovery process? Generally speaking, through great dissatisfaction. Um, oftentimes, you know, we're so used to doing what we do, Andrea, that in order to disrupt a behavioral pattern, to disrupt a belief like I'm supposed to give everybody everything that they need, something has to happen that makes you question your way of operating, that makes you question your underlying beliefs. And for a lot, what I saw a lot, of course, because I ran a mind-body clinic, was it was illness that disrupted a person's, um, a person's uh, tendency to bad boundaries and overgiving. Or it might be depression or anxiety when suddenly you feel like, I can't maintain my life as it is. Something is really wrong. Uh, and it can be a gnawing discontent. It can be a relationship problem. It can be something, anything, that points out to you something, something here is, is wrong. And that, of course, is when the opportunity for healing comes in. I'm a great believer in crisis <laughs> because it's a, it's a red flag that calls us to awareness and hopefully to action. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think it's really important that we see crisis. That I think of crisis as spiritual crisis. Uh, uh, Stanislav Grof talks about spiritual crisis being an opportunity to wake up to what's going on, really, and becoming more conscious. And I, and I really do think that's true. So we can, what we can discover is that our boundaries, that we don't have any boundaries, or that our boundaries are way too loose, that, we're, that other people can manipulate us easily into changing our boundaries, or that they're too rigid and we're being smothered by the walls we've created between ourselves and other people, or that, you know, somewhere in between that loose and rigidity, or, or, or that we just lack boundaries entirely and therefore don't even have any awareness of self at all. So well, that's right. And I'm very glad you mentioned that for some people, their boundaries are so inflexible and so tight that not only can they not give in an appropriate way to others, they can't receive from others. And that leads to a sense of isolation and inflexibility. And probably of all of the things that um, destroy our peace of mind and compromise our health, the sense of isolation is the biggest thing. We're social animals. We're meant to connect with each other. And so that cycle of give and receive is so important. And what um, I think actually uh, for most people, it's easier to address boundaries that are too loose than it is to address boundaries that are too tight because Mm. often there's been... Uh, an underlying trauma that needs to be addressed that has made people cautious of other people, literally, um, and often with good reason, fearful of other people, so they isolate. 
Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad you covered that in more in a more specific way because I really think that's true. We need to understand that boundaries can can be overly done as well as underdone, uh, if I can say it that way. So I want to uh, talk a little bit about what you said about self-care. One of the mistaken ideas that we've been taught is that it's selfish to take care of oneself. So let's talk <laughs> right. about the whole thing, that whole concept it, of being It is, and don't you think, Andrea, this has become like a society. It puts up a red flag because I say to myself, I'm about to burn out, or here is a person who's about to burn out because one of the early signs of burnout is failure to take good care of yourself and uh, just driving yourself far too hard. And so we, we have to, I, I want to come back to something that I said at the beginning of our time together, and that is you can assess where your boundaries are Um, by how well you're taking care of yourself. And if you say, I'm last on my own list, um, you know, I haven't gone to have a haircut. (laughs) I'm like three weeks overdue and I look like, like Frankenstein. This is not a funny thing. This is failure to care for yourself. Or if you're constantly eating at the kitchen counter... Or eating garbage instead of, I mean, to eat well actually takes time. You have to prepare decent food and not eat out all the time, you know? Eating out sometimes is fun. Eating out too much um, is going to take years off of your life because of the nutritional deficiencies, the bad oils, the pesticides, the stuff you'll find in most restaurants. So if you're not eating well, that's another failure of self-care. If you cannot find time to exercise, that's a failure of self-care. If you have no time for yourself to sit, to take a breather, to do something that you love, to be in nature, that's a failure of self-care. And what happens, I think, to many of us if we don't have good boundaries Um, Maybe we've put aside finally a half a day for ourselves, and then somebody calls up and says, hey, you know, I have this great chance to go to a seminar, but I don't have anybody to watch my kids Saturday afternoon. Can I bring them over? And you say yes to them, but it's no to yourself. And, you know, if that happens once in a while, it's compassion, if it's a pattern, it's self-abuse. So we have to be honest with when we're giving away time. And, you know, I, here, here's something I've really had to learn, Andrea, because um, I'm an author. I've written 17 books. And people who are publishing a book will often get in touch with me and say, you know, I've followed your work for a long time. I do something similar. I know you'd love my book. Can you write an endorsement? Well, for me to write an endorsement, it takes generally at least a full day because I don't endorse a book unless I believe in it, and I can't believe in it unless I've read it 
or, you know, skimmed it to a high degree. And then I have to really sit and think, if I really believe in this book and I think it will help people, how can I craft in two or three sentences something that will really interest people in this book? And as much as I'd like to do, for many people, I'd love to do an endorsement for them. What I've come to do now is to say exactly that. I'd love to do an endorsement for you, but this requires at least a full day of my time. And if I do that for you, I'm going to have to not exercise or not eat well or not do something I need to care for myself. Um, And so I hope you'll understand. And do you know nine times out of ten, I believe it's that much, I'll actually get a thank you note from people, which will say something like, thank you for being honest and for being a, a good role model. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, that's important to me. Yeah, I agree I with that. I used to have an outgoing message, <laughs> actually, on email. Um, I do this often when I'm writing a book, and I'll say, you know, I'd love to get back to you when I can, but I'm writing a book. And because of that, between the writing and just, like, keeping myself together, I don't have the bandwidth to engage right now. So if you're interested in in something, call my assistant or wait a month and get back in touch. And you need to put a system in place or little by little, you get eaten to death Um, at a point... In my 40s, when I finally realized I was crashing, real, I can tell you the story if you want, but I was let's, crashing let's, and let's, lack of boundaries was part of it. A good friend of mine who maybe you've interviewed, her name is, um, she's a I do want to hear this story, Joan. We're going to have to take a break right now. I want you to come All back right. to that right after the break, okay? We'll be right yep. back in just a few minutes. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. If you're lost in the dating world and need GPS, if you're stuck in dating hell and can't get out, if you're in need of a dating intervention... 
And done being single with host Trevor and Robbie Sharp is your lifeline to love. From hookups to happily ever after, learn how to navigate single life and find the one. Tune in to Done Being Single Saturdays, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're... Back talking today to Joan Borisinko about the topic, a very important mental health and spiritual health topic called boundaries. And I had to interrupt you. I'm sorry I had to interrupt you so abruptly to take our commercial break there. But I uh, wanted to get you to, if you would, go back to that story you were telling. Okay. So I was telling a story of how I really, really burned out in my early 40s, and it made me very aware of my lack of boundaries. Uh, And then I'm going to give you the advice that a friend of mine, Mona Lisa Schultz, who is a psychiatrist and a neuroscientist, gave me (laughs) about boundaries. It It really helped stick. So here's what was happening, Andrea. Um, I actually tell this story in one of my books called Inner Peace for Busy Women because I was a busy woman without inner peace. And this was kind of the critical incident that made me more aware of myself and acted as kind of, um, you know, a wormhole into a better sense of self. So I was at that time... Uh, running a mind-body clinic at the New England Deaconess Hospital, one of the Harvard teaching hospitals. It was in the early years of the AIDS clinic. I was running an AIDS clinic, and that was very, very difficult because so many of the guys who came, it was an eight-week program, they'd be in the hospital by the second week or the third week, several people would die during every um, session. And oftentimes, I had formed such a warm relationship with these men that often they asked, would I sit at their deathbed? And I sat at a lot of deathbeds. Um, sometimes people actually recovered for a while, but it was a very difficult time, um, a time of great fear and dying. At the same time, I was running a clinic for people with cancer. And that was also, um, I mean, for me, it, it filled my heart in so many ways to be helpful. And many people went on to recover. But some, of course, did not. And that's stressful for them and their families and also for me. Then I was running a third clinic, and that was for people with stress-related disorders. That's basically the rest of us. 
And on top of that, I was responsible, because I'm also a medical scientist, I'm a, a cell biologist by training as well as a psychologist, I was in charge of reviewing all of the research for Division of Behavioral Medicine um, at the hospital. And then on top of that, I was... Um, Writing, I had written a book, and there was a lot of publicity I had to do around the book. And then I had two teenage sons, and an hour commute in each direction. And you can, I mean, I'm, I'm telling this story. I can't believe that I, I could have kept so many balls in the air. But always with the sense that there's not enough time, and that I'm shortchanging someone. And the one who I shortchanged most of all was myself. Uh, there was really no time for me whatsoever. And one night after running an AIDS clinic at night, there's another example. I could have said, no, I'm not going to work at night, but I did. A couple of nights a week I was running programs. I was commuting home and I literally fell asleep at the wheel and had a, a bad accident, and I ended up in the hospital for several days. And what had happened was that my seatbelt held, but the shoulder harness failed, and my face slammed into the steering wheel, and it all but ripped the nose right off my face. And... When the paramedics came, of course, you have endorphins. I didn't know how serious it was. I didn't feel any pain. And I said, well, can you just, like, give me a Band-Aid and drive me home? And they said, no, you have to choose a hospital. We're planning to strap you down to this here trauma board. And so I ended up in the hospital where I was practicing. And... Oh. uh I was operated on by a friend of mine who was a plastic surgeon. And there in the hospital, traumatized on painkillers, um, with my nose in a sling and my ribs cracked, uh, I had time to think for the first time in years. And I thought, I love my work. In so many ways, I love it. But it almost killed me. And... I'd started to feel not so good anyhow. I was just losing life force energy. And I, I wasn't leaving myself enough time to meditate and to do the things that I was teaching. It was a really untenable situation. And I did something that I would counsel no one else to do. I did something you are never supposed to do. Um, and that was, you're not ever supposed to make a life-changing decision when you're in the hospital, freshly traumatized or on pain medication. <laughs> I was on all three. And I simply called up and I quit my job. Uh, mm. And I guess what it was was I didn't trust myself to hold on to the realization when I got well and out of the hospital that I was really engaged in killing myself by putting myself last on my own list and by saying yes to everything. And I realized I just, I just had to put an end to it right there. 
which is what I did. And then I had to start the process of discernment, of learning, what does it mean to me when my own well feels full? How do I tell? Um, And I realized I invented a very simple scale from 1 to 10, and 1 is when you're totally depleted. There's no water left in your well. And 10 is when you feel that life force energy bubbling. You feel good. You feel creative. You feel like, ah, I've got energy to spend. I've got energy to give. And I realized that for me, if I, I'm fine till I reach about a seven, and a seven is the place where I have to say to myself, you're on the verge of a downslide. What do you need to do to take care of yourself? What do you have to say yes to? And what do you have to say no to? And my friend, Mona Lisa Schultz, who I mentioned a few minutes ago, the psychiatrist, was terrific because she said, Joan, I'm going to make you a sign which says the cafeteria is closed. You're everybody else's lunch. And you, you can't maintain your life like that. So that, that was really a help for me. It almost became an affirmation. When I, really, when I had to say no to somebody, I had to screw up all my courage. If I could take a few deep breaths, if I could remember Mona Lisa, and if I could say to myself, the cafeteria is closed. And then a friend of mine, um, he's actually um, the founder of the Harvard Negotiation Project, Bill Yuri. He wrote a book called The Power of a Positive No. And he's used to negotiating like peace between countries and things like that. And understanding that when you say no to someone, it's good if you can still keep a good relationship. And so I've incorporated some of Bill's suggestions from the power of a positive no. I just did it um, yesterday morning, in fact. Somebody whose work I highly regard, who I think is absolutely terrific, and whose book I'd really like to read asked me if I would write a foreword for their book. This, Andrea, takes several days. For me to write a foreword, I have to read every word of that book. I have to think of it in the context of a whole field. Then I have to write a foreword, which can take several days. It can take a week or two to write a good foreword to a book. And I realized... I just, I can't, I can't do that. I'm not at a place in my life. I haven't been writing my own newsletter and blog. In fact, today, I'm writing the first one. I'm now going to reinstate a monthly newsletter. And I thought, how could I agree to spend a week or two writing a foreword for someone else when I'm not even writing blogs for my own um, group support? In any case, What happened was I used the power of a positive no. I was able to say to this person, honestly, I can't write a foreword for you. I would really love to write a foreword for you. 
but what I can do is I can write an endorsement for your book. And that still takes time, but it takes a tenth of the time that it would mm-hmm. take to write a forward. And that's a positive no. What can you give someone that's appropriate? And sometimes it's just, you know, it's just an air. It's just listening. Maybe yeah. you've got a friend who desperately wants to see you, and you don't have the, the time to go out to meet them, to have lunch. I mean, people say, can I just have a cup of coffee with you? And I realize it's going to take me half a day to have a cup of coffee with someone, take me a half an hour to get to town. Then 15 minutes is never 15 minutes. It's at least an hour. Then mm-hmm. I've had to park. I've had to um, go home again. And it's taken maybe three hours to have a cup of coffee. But what I can say to someone is I don't have the time to go out of the house to meet you. But let's just have a talk on the phone. And that I can do in, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. So that's the power of a positive no. And I would say that um, two to three things that have helped me the most are, number one, the cafeteria is closed, affirmation. (laughs) Number two, the power of a positive no. And number three, the word maybe. Let me think about that. Because what often sinks the boundary ship is that you think that you have to respond to somebody the minute they ask something. Uh, You know, I have a friend who said, can we, like, I haven't seen you for a few years, can we go and take a vacation together? She wanted to go someplace for a week. That takes a lot of time and effort, obviously, and yet I do want to see her. I had to think about it, so I said, Let me get back to you, maybe. I really need to sit and look at the schedule and to see what's what. So maybe (laughs) is a great word. Yeah, I like maybe because one of the things that maybe does is give us the time to check in with ourselves to find out what is really true and what's really false. And I think that in a moment when we've got somebody else on the phone, that person inside that wants to be loved might pop back up again and say, well, yeah, but I really want to be loved, and so let me just sacrifice myself again here so I can be loved. And, of course, we're not really being loved then for who we are. We're being loved for who we present as a mask and costume. But nonetheless, it has that effect. It has that power. But maybe has the power to give us, uh, uh, let me think about that and get back with you, says, you know, I, I, I really want to know what's authentic inside of me before I make this decision. And that's uh, that's really, really helpful. I really encourage people to use that very frequently. Yeah, it really it really works beautifully. Uh, yeah. and so that's what I that's what I will do. Often I'll say to somebody who emails me and wants something, um, I have to sit with it, I'll get back to you. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. And you've given some really good examples about self care. Uh, in terms of exercise, those are real obvious examples, but uh, just being by yourself, having some time to, to sort of recollect, having time to meditate, having time to to uh, to eat well, to sleep well, to do all the things that are all about taking care of ourselves. And sometimes it's just about having some time to play, you know. Just oh, totally. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so just, don't you think play is so important? Yeah. Play and yeah. laughter? Yes, absolutely. And yeah, when we're do all you know the work of my buddy Loretta LaRoche? Oh, I love Did her. Did you ever interview Loretta? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Oh, she's so awesome. She's done eight PBS specials. And she writes book with titles like Relax, You May Only Have a Few Minutes Left. <laughs> and she really knows about play. And just she finds life a kind of play because she sees the inherent absurdities. So let me give you one of my favorite boundary absurdities from Loretta that bears on the topic of play. Uh so in this book, Relax, You May Only Have a Few Minutes Left, Loretta has got a chapter on what it will say on your tombstone, on epitaphs. And my favorite is this one, Got It All Done, Dead Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like that. When I think, do I really have time to go to this movie? That's what pops up. Get it all done dead anyway. And I say, what the hell? Let's just go to the movie. Really? You need time to live, time to play. You know, especially for me, the greatest play is being out in nature. I just want to see the beauty and take a walk and, you know, be with my husband and my dogs and water the garden. And got to make that a priority in your life, whatever it is for you. Absolutely. And nature can be very, very healing in so many ways and can speak to that nature inside of us. And it's a very, very powerful tool. So thank you for sharing those good examples and that little bit of humor as well. So we're going to take another break right now and we're going to be back in just a few minutes with more from Joan Borisenko. And stay tuned because she's got some special things to tell you about about her work coming up. So you want to be here for that. We'll be right back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. If you're ready for big changes in less than one month's time, you're ready to tune in for Radical Change Now with Dr. Mary Oz. It's where healing meets the law of attraction in an engaging package. You'll hear from guests and callers as they share their stories, offer solutions to life's challenges, and much more. With Dr. Mary's approach, even a child could effectively learn and apply the concepts discussed on each week's show. Listen live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. It's time to transform your life. 
Start by tuning in to The Glenise Show with Glenise Hughes. Glenise combines business, relationships, wealth, life, and a whole lot of magic to create abundance and prosperity in every part of your life. It's all done through straight and often frank discussions in the best way that Glenise knows how. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Master your life with The Glenise Show. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking again today to Joan Borsinko about that very special topic, boundaries. But before we go any further talking about that, I want to I give Joan a chance to tell you guys about some of the work that she's doing, some of the interesting things she's got coming up, and some special gifts she's got for you. So, Joan, you want to do that now? Well, I sure do. I have a website, Andrea, with lots of information that will help people with boundaries and help people just generally live a life. I call it, you know, living with grace and grit. <laughs> you need mm-hmm. resilience uh, along with that that wonderful spiritual viewpoint that helps us. And my interest, of course, has been health and healing and uh, emotionally, physically, spiritually. That's why I'm on your show, because we have such similar <laughs> interests. So to go to my website, you have to know how to spell my name. And the website is just joanborasenko.com. It's J-O-A-N-B as in boy, O-R-Y-S as in Sam, E-N-K-O, Borisenko. So joanborasenko.com. And I'm... Uh, just reinstating now a monthly newsletter. I put one out for years, then took a break. And I just am finishing, putting the finishing touches on today's, which is lots of fun because it's about a trip to Africa on safari that I recently came back from. And it was interesting because part of what I learned on this trip was all about better self-care. We're always learning. I also give a number of programs uh, on self-care, and I have one coming up with my retreat partner, Dr. Gila Rosner, and it's called Self-Caring in Santa Fe, and we hold it every fall. Santa Fe is gorgeous in the fall. We hold it in an old Carmelite monastery old, magnificent Santa Fe, and we have a five-star caterer, a most amazing food. doesn't matter what your food needs and preferences are. It's organic, locally grown, tons of great vegetables and fruits, but also, uh, you know, chicken and fish and sometimes beef for people who need it. 
It's a wonderful retreat. And we cover personalized nutrition, meditation, attention training, positive psychology, all of the things people need for self-care. And so there's a lot of revelation, a lot of laughter, a lot of tears, a lot of information, and a fabulous time. And um, for any listener who goes to my website, you can register right on my website on joanborisenko.com. If you simply mention that you heard about this on your show today, Andrea, we'll give people a 10% discount, which is really a great deal. And the dates are September 21st to 24th. So, as I said, great time to be in Santa Fe. Such a beautiful, interesting place. All right. That is wonderful. Thank you so much for offering that to our listeners. I am sure that many of them will participate. That's a great deal, 10% off for September the 21st through the 24th in Santa Fe. That's correct. Wonderful. That's exciting. Okay, so back to topic now. Let's talk a little bit about what happens after you say no. Sometimes people start feeling really guilty and they want to go back and unsay what they said and redo and, 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 and take it all back and all that. So let's That's talk right. about that. That's right. Remember the book that made, um, one of the books that made Wayne Dyer famous was When I Say No, I Feel Guilty. Uh And that's often why people don't say no. And it's because they feel like, oh, my God, I have been selfish. And it gets their whole self-critic activated. And we have all an internal program of a self-critic that tells us all the things that it thinks we've done wrong. And in order to work with that self-critic that makes us feel guilty... When it comes up, and it will before you have practice with boundaries, this is what discourages people is the sense of guilt, the feeling like, oh, my God, I'm not a good person, people aren't going to love me, all of those scary things. What you need to do is to sit with the part of you that feels guilty. And if if you actually name it, uh, you know, we all have like an inner cast of characters. Uh, I think inside of every person is a little girl or a little boy who just wanted to be loved. And the idea is not to criticize your own inner critic, but to use self-compassion. And right now in the psychology community, there's such a huge interest in self-compassion because that is a way of, of, of really helping us to live authentically. So when we feel guilty, I might say to the very young part of myself, the little Joni, who's saying, did I do something wrong? Am I being selfish? Will people not like me? To actually go into the feeling state in my body or even imagine that little me, I have a good mental image of it. And to comfort myself and to say to that little little Joni in there, it's okay, you did the right thing. You need to be able to take care of yourself in order to take better care of others. You need to be able to 
to make that balance, and you did it. You did the right thing, and that's just another way of saying you have to be a good friend to yourself. And that's the thing with boundaries. We try to be a good friend to everybody but ourselves. And so, um, in learning to befriend ourselves and to say you did the right thing, nobody is going to take care of you but you. You're the final arbiter of your own well-being. And to really reward yourself and tell yourself how well you did, that's self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and people, very often, all of us have had trouble at some point in our lives distinguishing the difference between self-compassion or what I call self-empathy and self-pity. And so oh, yes. Tend to- There's a, way, a major difference. <laughs> yeah. Major, can you talk about that? Can you say what the difference is between those two? Yes, and, and by the way, if people go, there's a wonderful website from a psychologist whose name is Kristen Neff, N-E-F-F, and she runs the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion, and she's got a great piece in there on the difference between self-compassion and um, really self-indulgence and self-pity. So if you're feeling self-pity, often what people will do is things like go to bed with a quart of ice cream Mm. (laughs) and start in with the, oh, me, poor me, I'm going to go eat worms, nobody loves me, they only love me because I do these things for myself. And when we're reinforcing neural circuits of self-pity. It's the opposite of self-compassion. And so what we need to do is is notice our own inner dialogue. That self-pity dialogue is only going to make things worse. It does not make things better. So when you notice yourself, like indulging yourself in a way that's self-destructive or talking to yourself in a way that's self-pitying. You have to celebrate that, oh, wow, it's great. I just caught this. I'm going to install a better neural circuit. And to do that, there's a whole um, field called self-directed neuroplasticity. A lot of this is the work of a good friend of mine, uh, Rick Hansen, who wrote um, several books, including Buddha's Brain. And then uh, uh, his most recent book is called Resilience. And Rick talks about installing the good. And that is, when we're in self-pity, we're constantly in a negative story. And it's particularly important to look around during the day and find things that are right instead of things that are wrong. So, for example, I'm looking out the window right now at a bird feeder, and the scene is really, really, really beautiful. There's, in fact, a a big blue jay out on that feeder, and then there are some small birds waiting their turn to fly over, and it's something that makes my body and mind happy if I notice that scene. And if I really notice it, I'm mindful of it. And I notice how it makes me feel in my body. If I was outside, I'd have the feeling of the breeze, the feeling of the sun, 
but whatever I can notice, even out of my window of the breeze and the tree and the, you know, the leaves blowing, just by rerunning that for 10 to 20 seconds with all my senses, I'm actually engaging uh, neuroplasticity and I'm installing the good. And we have something uh, built into our nervous system called the negativity bias. And, you know, we're always looking for what's wrong because there's survival value in that. And my friend Rick Hansen says, you know, the good is like Teflon. It slides right off us. We hardly notice these beautiful things. But the bad sticks to us like Velcro. So you have to install the good. And I'd say particularly when you're at a time of self-pity, look extra hard for those good moments. Like when, when my female poodle Mitzi comes over to me, when you go to pat her, she always raises her head to you, always, without fail. And just that beautiful love that she gives every time I flash on it, I'm lighting up the good neural circuitry that's going to take away the self-pity, the obsession, the rumination, and allow me to be more mindful and present. So it's great when we realize we can change our own nervous system. So several times a day, when you see something cool, stop, be with it for 10 to 20 seconds, install the good, do that again before bed at night. Think back over your day and don't rerun all the bad stuff, the guilt, the self-pity. You don't want to install that. Think of something that happened during the day that was beautiful. Just one of these little, little moments. Everybody has them. Right now I'm looking at the, my male poodle. <laughs> He's behind a chair settled in a place where he'll be really cool on the tile floor. And he's so cute with his nose sticking out, it makes me smile. Little mm-hmm. things like that. I could install that t- t- tonight before I go to bed simply to remember that. And in a very short period of time, you begin to change yourself. So self-compassion, mindfulness, installing the good, by just recognizing self-pity is not something anybody wants to install. So when you notice it, you flip right into finding something good to install. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's a wonderful way to conclude our show. I think those are really, really good, helpful ideas. And it really is wonderful to know that we can change our own neural pathways by by changing our self-talk. And uh, that's really, really important. So thank you so much for sharing that with us today, Joan. My pleasure, Andrea. And thank you for being here on the show. You are always a, a, a light. That when you when you come on the show, there's a light that shines out to everyone, and it's and <laughs> to me. Thank you. Uh, input and so really thank you for being here, and thank you for bringing that light. And uh, we will talk to you another time, perhaps. And uh, so that's it for our show today. We're going to be back again next week. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. 
Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.